This morning we're going to hear an interaction between Jesus, many thousands of people in crowds, a brother grasping for money, and 12 disciples. Someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is Luke 12, 13. Friend, Jesus said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? He then told them, namely the crowds, watch out and be on guard against all greed because because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat. Drink. Enjoy yourself. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And now Jesus, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then he turned his eyes to his disciples. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, and yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you are not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, King Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, O you of little faith? Do not strive for what you should eat and what you should drink. And don't be anxious, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things. And your Father, He knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom. And these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock. Because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor and then make money bags in that way for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. This is God's Word. 
Let's pray. Father, your son had a tendency to confront people. And he did so because of his great love for us. And so and sometimes we hear difficult words that confront us and maybe convict us. Help us to remember that the same man that said these words also gave his life for us. That's how much you love us, Jesus. And so help us to see that the words that you're telling to this man and to these crowds and to your disciples and to us are so vital for true life. And they come from a king who laid down his life that we could have that kind of true life. I have found in 53 years Father, in all my life, so far, you have been faithful. In all my life, you have been so, so good. And with every breath that I am able, I want to sing of the goodness of my God. Has God been good to you? Amen. Turn to someone next to you and say, God is good. <laughs> and now turn in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there is a Bible underneath many of the chairs there, so you might see one in front of you. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. And we'll be in verses 13 to 34 this morning. just want to welcome you again this morning. I'm, I'm glad that you are here this morning. I'm glad to those of you that are on the live stream this morning, sitting in your home. And if you're a guest with us here this morning, I'm especially grateful that you're here. And for guests that are here, maybe you don't know that I've only been here about Seven months, seven months at Grace. And that means that you and I have gotten to know each other a little, but it means also that we still have so much to learn about each other. We're still getting to understand each other and our histories and our stories that shape us and make us who we are, aren't we? And as I was on my sermon writing prayer walk this past Thursday morning, which I do every Thursday morning for about an hour. I pray over the text and I think about this moment right here and I see your faces and I think about you and I've studied for days by that point and I'm about to write and I plead with the Father to give me the words that you need. And I know the words that you need are first and foremost the text but I need him to tell me how they need to be shaped for you. Now, I don't want to take on too much with that because I also believe in the Holy Spirit. And I believe he's here this morning. And I can't figure out how to apply this text to every single one of you. There's just too darn many of you, for which I'm grateful. <laughs> 
but I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to apply this text to you. In this last Thursday morning, I was a bit apprehensive because it struck me that this text is an area that I'm just not all that familiar with when it comes to all of you. I don't have a clear sense of how y'all feel about your money and your possessions and how you feel about those things in relationship to the kingdom. I, I haven't had many conversations with you about that. I'm not all that familiar with your collective attitudes towards that. And I want you to know that I'm not coming into this morning with any presuppositions about that. And it, stru- it, pro- it struck me, and, and you probably haven't had a need to consider this at all, that you aren't all that familiar with how I think about these things either. Or how we've lived in relationship as a couple and as a family to our money and our possessions. And so I'm hoping right now that as we begin to study what Jesus has to say, those words that you just heard that can be very confronting to our sensibilities, that you would just take a breath and relax. All right? Let go of any of your presuppositions about how I'm going to talk about money. And I'm going to let go of any presuppositions that I may have about how you're thinking about your money. Can we do that for each other this morning? That whatever defenses might be coming up because of how you've heard a previous pastor preach on this in a church that you were at or a previous pastor here or the pastor at another church that you listened to those sermons that we can start fresh with each other and that we can all start fresh with Jesus. Because can we just be honest with each other this morning and admit that this whole topic of money and possessions and the relationship to the church is fraught with all kinds of opportunities for defensiveness and offense and awkwardness? Can we admit that? For example, church leaders could have the tendency to get all kind of crabby. And let me just say for a second, Because maybe you're thinking, wow, he planned this really well. This sermon on October 23rd when we're voting on the budget after the service. (laughs) I did not plan that. This sermon series was planned long before Bruce and the elders and the deacons found that this would be the best Sunday to do this. You know who planned it? God. There are no coincidences. So, for example, I was saying church leaders can get all crabby about feeling like people aren't giving enough. And church people can feel like all the church cares about is getting your money. Furthermore, so that that can create awkwardness, difficulty. Furthermore, I want to say something specifically to guests who are with us here this morning or might be watching online, and even more particularly to guests who are not yet followers of Jesus and you are just investigating Jesus. See, one of the reasons that I think that I tend, and I do, I tend to shy away from talking about money. I think pastors do in general. I think elders do. I think people do. When was the last time you had a conversation about your income with another person? But I want to speak to those reasons for why we may shy away from talking about money and giving on a Sunday morning is that if you don't yet know Jesus, 
if you haven't been made a new creation by his spirit, if you haven't already formed an understanding on the basic principles of who Jesus is and what your relationship is to him, if you don't see him as precious and as your king, then hearing about how Jesus thinks about how you should think about your possessions and your giving and your wealth won't make sense. It just doesn't. And hearing a pastor in a church right now talk about how you use your money will likely be offensive and a turnoff. Because you don't know who he is. And that has caused me to shy away from this so often in my ministry. And yet there's something instructive about how Jesus feels about that very thing in this text that I have not seen before in this text. Namely, Jesus isn't just addressing his disciples about these things in verse 22. Jesus is also addressing a crowd of many thousands of people who are investigating him. You can look at 12 verse 1, many thousands. And they're not yet sure about what they believe about who he is either. It's while he's teaching the disciples about things that he wants them to clearly hear, he also wants the crowd to overhear. Huh. Isn't that something? Jesus wants the crowd to hear about principles on our possessions and our stewardship of those possessions and about a non-anxious, worry-free trust in a loving, doting father in relationship to those things. Jesus wants unbelievers, hear him talking to believers about their money. He has no apprehensions about talking that way. And so if Jesus can freely talk about it, then I want him to take away my apprehension and your apprehension, and we should be free to talk about it too. All right. Now that we've been honest with each other. Tim Mackey. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive, and there's lots of people, decorations, excellent food and drink. Do you have the picture in your head? There's enough for everybody. When you are hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You just enjoy yourself and, and you focus on the people around you. That's what a good host wants for their guests, right? Plenty of food, plenty of drink. Let's just enjoy. And this is the picture of the world we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He is the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we are called to keep that particular party going, to spread his goodness and to spread his abundance, end quote. But often, this is not the way that we see the world. We don't see God as a generous host, and that is because the first man and the first woman didn't see God as a generous host. They did it first, but then, instead of seeing all that God had given them, maintaining faith and trust in him to provide everything they need to live in that abundance, they thought he was holding out on them. One tree, just one. 
So they grabbed and grasped for more because they allowed themselves to have a mindset of scarcity. We don't have enough. We don't have enough. And it took over them and it plunged the entire world into a scarcity mindset. Tim Mackey, again. And that kind of thinking causes people to focus on what they don't have instead of recognizing all that has been given to us, all that is promised to us. And the story of Jesus in the New Testament is God's response to a history of human selfishness. A history of human selfishness. It's a history that is spanned from that moment in the garden all the way up to a brother coming to Jesus and asking him, well, really telling him, demanding him to do something in regards to some family possessions and wealth. And as Jesus responds, we're going to see how this tragic mistake by the first man and the first woman of thinking that God is holding out on us leads so many of us to two faulty views, a faulty view of God and a faulty view of our stuff. Chapter 12, 13. Someone from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell, in other words, order, order my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, again, you got to put on your imagination caps, right? Here's Jesus. There are thousands, there are so many thousands of people that have been trampling one another, it says in chapter 12, verse 1. They're all pressing in. And this brother fights his way through the crowd up to Jesus and says, tell my brother to give me what's mine. What do you think Jesus is thinking in that moment? I often think that. I try and get in the story. What were you thinking of this guy? I probably just would have wanted to punch him in the throat. (laughs) But Jesus, he's so kind. And I think Jesus looks into his heart and he sees the blackness of greed. And he sees it all the way back to a garden and a choice by the first man. And he sees and he hears that scarcity mindset born at the fall of man, which stands in opposition to his father, who is a God of abundance and a generous host. He sees human selfishness staining everything in this man's heart and mind that is opposed to an abundant life, an abundant life. Mark that. You're going to see that word life over and over again in this text, 15, 20, 22, 23, 25. This is a story about what life truly is, a life that Jesus has come to bring. And Jesus knows that a big part of how we live that abundant life is by having a proper view of God just like he did which meant that Jesus lived with the conviction that there is enough because his generous host could be trusted. Jesus lived with a mindset of abundance and not scarcity, an understanding of the coming of the fullness of the kingdom of God, which allowed him to live sacrificially and generously towards his friend and even his enemies. So much so that he gave everything. He gave his life. In 
Jesus wants all of his disciples to trust God as a generous host, just as he does, to see the abundance, just as he does, to embrace the fullness of the coming of the kingdom of God, to spread opportunity and abundance. And here stands this brother in opposition to all of the way that Jesus is seeing the world. And so he tells this brother a story. He usually does, doesn't he? Have you ever wondered why that is? It's because stories have an, have an ability to capture us, don't they? To kind of suck us in. Stories have an ability to plant truth deep in our minds that we don't forget. It's, they're like these mediums for truth that Jesus uses to take down our defenses and and, and allow transformation to occur because we just can't forget them. If you've heard this story, that you probably will recognize it. And Jesus is trying to free this man from grasping at things to take care of himself because he's not trusting God to do that for him. He is selfish and self-centered, and it's ugly. Verse 15, Jesus then told them, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed because one's life, your life, is not in the abundance of your possessions. In other words, life doesn't consist of what you own. Verse 16, then Jesus told them a story. A rich man's land was very productive. Note that. Isn't that interesting? It's passive. There's a sense in which this man has to do something, right? He's a farmer. He has to till the soil and plant the seed. But then that's it. Then it's just a waiting game. Then it's up to all the elements. It's up to God. This man didn't do any. The man didn't do it. The land produced. It's often this way in life, isn't it? Someone hits it big, is blessed. A a windfall just seemingly falls into their laps. That's what has happened to this farmer. And at this point in the story, I want you to note something. He doesn't paint this as a negative. Success isn't wrong and wealth is not a sin. It's not the point of the story. But watch the farmer's response to God's blessing. Verse 17. He thought to himself... Take note of all the eyes and the mys here. What should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, drink, and enjoy yourself. Me, 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 my, my, I, I, me. He is completely absorbed with himself. He's unaware of any other reality than himself and his concerns and his ease and his pleasure. He has a scarcity mindset, a greedy heart, a self-absorbed attitude, and it's ugly. And God sees it, and he says so. Verse 20, God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? The word fool 
in the Bible is a very, very significant word. God does not throw it around in the way that we do today because it's a really serious word. It's almost like calling someone a cuss word. It's so negative. Because you see, being a fool isn't a problem merely with one's thinking. It's not about being simple, non-intellectual. There are a lot of brilliant fools in this world. The problem is with one's spirit. It means you are not in touch with reality. More, it is the presence of a kind of view that hates God's definitions of reality. So to be a fool is to hate the idea of the way God says the world works, what it's about, and where it's headed. A kind of hatred of God's reality which dismisses it and thus lives life opposed to that God reality. And the foolishness of this man has him living as if his life in this age is all there is. And such foolishness is not only found in history in Jesus' time. We hear it today. You can't take it with you, you say. So, get all you can now. He who dies with the most toys wins. It's not funny. It's foolish. Because it displays people living a life that ignores God. Ignores his reality, that he exists, acting as if life in this age is all there is, which would be fine. Listen, that would be fine if this is all there is. If this was all there is, then go ahead, store up, hoard, eat, drink, be merry, spend it on yourself. If this is all there is. But what if there's not What if this isn't all there is? What if there's more? What if there is a God? Are you living like that? Are you living like there is a God? I wonder, do do we, are we consciously thinking often, moment by moment, there's a God. He exists. He sees, he knows all things. He knows everything I'm doing, every choice I make, every moment of the day. He knows when I'm on that website putting in my credit card again. What if he is indeed in control and in such a way that he allows every blessing into your life, all the riches, all the provision? What if he starts to see certain characteristics and behaviors in you that he decides to take it all away, including your life. And then where will the abundance of your possessions be? And what good will all the mini storage units do? (laughs) Verse 21, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself, for himself, and is not rich, rich, toward God. Rich. The word means opulent, extravagant, lavish. Rich 
toward God. What does that mean? <laughs> What's that about? And why would I need to be opulent and extravagant and rich toward God? Because God doesn't need me or anything, right? Isn't it all his? You know, that whole cattle on a thousand hills and all that? Like, I love how Eugene Peterson renders this verse. This is what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. Okay, now I think that gets us closer to what it means to be rich toward God. I think Jesus is saying that greed creates a distortion about what life is. The foolishness of greed gets you thinking that life equals possessions, that life is found in lots of stuff, lots of money, lots of the kinds of experiences it can buy, and the access to the kind of people that it can get you. And it happens so subtly, you guys. Why else would he be saying, watch out, be on guard. I'm telling you, this will keep creeping in. And Jesus is saying that life doesn't equal your possessions because a life like that ends really poorly when you equate life to your stuff and your wealth because your stuff and your wealth, the kind that he's talking about here, is the kind that can only last up to your death and not beyond your death. And I think Jesus wants to see that there's a way to handle our money and our possessions that can lead to going beyond death. Because our possessions and our money and our wealth, things that are almost always amoral in themselves, can actually enrich your life. Okay, did you hear that? They can actually enrich your life for all those who are saying, I don't know what this guy is getting so wound up about because money seems to be really helpful. <laughs> I really like new clothes. That warm Cotopaxi jacket I just bought for winter that's coming. Mm. Yeah. Things and money can enrich your life, but only when they are spent on things that can last beyond your death. Mainly, to which you should ask the question, okay, what lasts beyond death then? Well, I've got two things for you. We could think of more. People. What if you put your money into others for the good of others because people last forever? Every single one of you is an immortal being. Immortal. <laughs> you will live forever in a new heavens and a new earth, or in a hell apart from God. People last for eternity. People make it through this age and the doorway of death into the age and this world that will be made new to come. What else could you put your money into? God's kingdom. What if you put your money into advancing the kingdom of God? in making a way through the church, for example, for the power of the kingdom to be released into this world, like we learned last week. Because the kingdom lasts forever. The work and the fruits of the kingdom will last forever. See, as Christians, we believe, or at least we should believe, that this age is not all there is. 
We are not like the fools of this world, ignoring the God reality. We know that one day we will have to give an account. We know one day that the records will be reviewed. We know that one day there will be a judgment. He sees your check register and your credit card statement. And we know that, as Paul says, there are works of our lives that will be burned up in that trial of entering into a new age because they're like wood, hay, and stubble. And we will feel great loss when we see those things go. But we also know, right, that there are works that we do in this age that are like gold and silver that make it through the fire to the other size. Possessions and wealth and resources that we can be rich with toward God. Therefore, attaching those resources to eternal things which will result in them making it through the fires and to our reward. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 and following. I love the way that Tim Keller reflects on this. The world says, store up. And Jesus says, empty your barns. The world's way to strength and joy is to fill up your barns and to gather your treasure. But Jesus' way to strength, his principle of spiritual progress and taking a step closer to him is to empty your barns and give it all away. And if you're like me, I can remember when I was 30 and I started getting confronted with this in Jesus. Right now, maybe you're asking the question, tell me specifically how. What's the formula, Pastor Matthew? How much of my money do I give away? How much of my stuff do I give away? What does that look like? And you know my answer? You got to talk to God about that. I can't tell you that. I think that there are some general principles in the scriptures, but he, he just doesn't do it, y'all. He doesn't address directly what my house should look like and what model car I should drive. What he says is, none of it's yours. None of it. I gave you all of it. And you're a steward, not an owner. You need to hear this. You are a steward and not an owner. I don't care if your house is 5,000 square feet and mine is 1,500. Just use it for the glory of God. That's all I care about. Honestly. We're not here to strike that. We should also talk to each other. I'm off script now. This could be dangerous. You should talk to God and we should talk to each other. This should not be an awkward topic of conversation for you and your close friends. I'm not saying talk to anybody. Don't just walk up into the lobby, you know, someone you don't know. Hey, could you tell me about your income? (laughs) How much do you make, really? Did you get that shirt for a discount? But with our close friends, this should not be an issue of awkward conversation. It shouldn't. I need people who help me in my life. I'm accountable to best friends. All right, I better get back on script. 
Jesus knows that no matter your wealth or possessions, no matter where you fall on the scale, the only way that you can be open-handed with all that you have and the only way that you can be free to be rich toward God by being rich toward others is if you actually trust him. So here's a key. You have to live with the conviction like Jesus does that our generous host can be trusted. And Jesus knows that there is a threat to that trust. Namely, worry and anxiety about money and possessions. Do you worry about your finances? Do you fear that you will have enough and that there even is enough? Are you anxious about the stuff of your life? Jesus says that if so, we have a seeing and trusting problem, and he wants to give us the gift of seeing the way that he does, of seeing the how much more life of the kingdom of God. And before we read the next part of this text, I want to give you a gentle warning for those of you who know this text, you heard it this morning, and how it speaks of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and the grass and all of that, because maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling anxious because you see the very real needs of your life. Maybe you're here and you actually don't have enough income and the bills have piled up because of some medical crisis or whatever in your life, and there's very real need in your life and you come to this text and you see a guy walking around all agog about ravens and flowers and you say come on you got to have something better than that because I have real need here but do not think that Jesus is being goofy let's not be dismissive of him Jesus was a homeless dude with no regular job And he knows what it's like to live with the implications of that. And he's on to something here as relates to our trust in his provision. In his provision now and in the future. And those two are critically important to have connected in your mind. Your now and your future. And how we relate to our money and possessions along that timeline. And his focus... I've never seen this connection before in this text. I see, I, you know, we, we pull these stories out and we kind of deal with them and, and then you realize, wow, they're right up next to each other because I don't think his focus actually is on worry and anxiety as he goes on here. I think his focus is actually wanting you to trust God. It's on faith. Are we willing to take him at his word? Will we fill our barns, not with self, but with God? Will we steep ourselves in a God reality? Verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. Because, right, he's just said, you tend to think about your life as equal to that stuff. Life is more than food in the body, more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. See the connection? He's just talked about a guy filling up barns. They don't have barns, and yet what does God do? He feeds them. Aren't you worth more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you are not even able to do a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that is how God, how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, O you of little faith? See, the issue is faith. Don't strive. 
for what you should eat and what you should drink. And don't be anxious, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all of these things. And your Father knows. God knows. God feeds. God clothes. God knows. And seek his kingdom and be rich toward him and these things will be provided for you. Do you believe that? Don't be afraid. Little flock, because your father delights, your father delights to give you the kingdom. Okay, you see what he just said there? I'm gonna provide for you now. There's a present and there's this kingdom thing and you've gotta see these things operating together so you can live this abundant life that I have for you. I love how Eugene Peter, Peterson paraphrases verse 29 to 32. It's really helpful. Verse 29, what I'm trying to do here is get you to relax. <laughs> to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all of your everyday human concerns will be met. Do not be afraid of missing out. You are my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. Isn't that the issue so often? We have a hashtag for it, don't we? FOMO. All the young people know. The old people are like, what is FOMO? Fear of missing out. We get afraid, even as Christians, of missing out, don't we? Listen, he is, this is so important. Please, if you get nothing else, listen to this. We are afraid of missing out on the cool thing, the next upgrade, the late model car, the hippest trend, the unreal vacation spot, in no small part because everybody, everybody is curating their most extravagant experience on Instagram for us. Oh, I want that. Let me heart it and let me save it to my album. And what Jesus is saying here <laughs> is you are guaranteed not to miss out. But you may miss out in this life. But you won't miss out in the life to come. So you can be free. Paul said to Timothy, with food and clothing, with these things, I will be content. I struggle with that, friends. I struggle with that. And Jesus says, one day, you're going to be part of a new heavens and a new earth that will be far grander than this one and far more extravagant than this one, beyond your imagining because your sin-stained, broken imagination can't possibly imagine what you will see and experience and own there, and you will be there for billions and billions and billions of years, world without end. Have you ever had a trip planned and used it as a motivation for making it through whatever until you were going to leave? Oh, come on. We all do this, right? Like, I am going. I'm going to the springs in two weeks, and we're going to do this, and I'm going to eat there. And man, I can make it. I can make it through the next three weeks of all this hell that I got to go through to get there. Because you knew the payoff was coming, right? Jesus says, that's your whole life. Whatever may come in this world. Oh, family, if we could just, oh, God, please help us to get this. 
I don't have to be jealous of the extravagant vacation of my friends to Hawaii and everything they experienced and all the beautiful pictures that they wanted to show me when they got back because even if I can't afford it now, I'll get to go to a far better and more extravagant and more beautiful Hawaii or whatever God calls it when Jesus comes back. And that frees me for two things. It frees me from the greed to try and get and get and get to get on that trip or to put it on a credit card. And it frees me so that when they show me the pictures, I'm happy for them. Instead of envious and jealous and like, oh, wish I could go. Oh, must have been really fun. And we say, stop saying that to your friend that went to the Caribbean. Celebrate with them. The promise of the kingdom coming of a new heavens and new earth is meant to function that way if we steep ourselves in the God reality, the God reality. We start getting away from that, we're being foolish. And then when we do that, you know what happens in our lives? You know what gets released? Verse 33, again from Eugene Peterson. You can be generous and give to the poor and get yourselves a bank that can't go bankrupt, a bank in heaven far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers, a bank where, that you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place where you will most want to be and end up being. It's obvious. It's obvious. Part of what I love about Jesus is I strive to be like him and give long answers to short questions which is what he just did. He unloaded a whole lot from some guy just saying, will you tell my brother what to do? And he did it to show us how generous God is, to show us that there is no resource problem in our lives. There are enough resources, so trust him. He did it to help us from grabbing at things as if there is a limit to his provision and to help us to be free with what we have to others around us within our church family, to our church body and to those in our city to show us that he wants his followers to be faithfully generous stewards because unfaithfulness is far more costly to get us thinking in kingdom ways seeing what is true how things truly are because a scarcity mindset is a problem of the fall and not the way of the kingdom of god to show us it is possible to live with this kind of trust and mindset it is worship team would you come up because Jesus did, and he has filled us with the Spirit of Christ. Jesus did this. Jesus, it says in 2 Corinthians, became poor for our sakes so that through his poverty we might become rich. Rich. And Jesus, gently but firmly, for our good, because he loves us, is confronting us with a simple choice, family. Will we choose scarcity and foolishness and worry and a lack of trust, or will we choose abundance and generosity and freedom and faith? I say let's choose Jesus. 
Let's choose that kind of freedom. But the choice is yours, not mine. What's your next step?